0: Hi, I'm Jason Marcos.
1: <laughs> and I'm Barry Hamaguchi. This is Flop Redeemer, the weekly podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance.
0: Today, I'm talking about Fourth of July, the second single from Singer Khaleesi's fourth album, the unexpectedly dance focused Fest Tone, and why this song and her whole discography deserve more credit and love than she currently receives. Good morning. Good morning.
1: I was reading your script and I thought it said fish tone. Did you say I, fish tone? That's
0: why I was like fishtone. tone. <laughs> it's flesh tone. <laughs> Typo police. It's uh, I know, I know. All right. Um, so, um How are you this morning? Good. Um
1: I'm I'm uh drinking again. Is that the Aretha uh, song? Yes. Okay. And I was just I in my head so I'm you gonna break like, out singing it? it. I was, I was, and I was like, you know, <laughs> no. Um I mean I'm going hard today because I'm uh, unprepared for everything. So alcohol fixes everything. Why for?
0: What? What? Why? What are, no, I mean, wrong? we're
1: okay. So we're recording two episodes today. I have an episode that we're recording right after this, that I have no, I have nothing for zero zip. Nada. I have a song. I sent you a totally disorganized playlist. Um, and that's about it. I'm going to be talking, shooting from the hip today. Is that what they say? I, I
0: was, we were listening to the, to, to the playlist the, yesterday. And, uh, it's all over the place. I mean, but but, but I uh, you can see the the references. I, I feel like I can see the through lines. So. There
1: there were there were
0: um, many different paths that I
1: felt yes. like I could go with with my upcoming episode. Mm-hmm. It was like uh, a path diverged in the woods, and I decided to go left for about half an hour, turn back, and then you know make a hard U turn. You were like the,
0: tr- were like the uh, what is the National Park Service just like. Cutting new trails yeah. to connect just them. Meandering.
1: I'm those people. If you go hiking in Griffith Park, do you ever see the people that are just like kind of careening down the side of the mountain? No.
0: no. Where,
1: what? Well, okay. No. Public oh. service announcement. Like if you go hiking, there are paths that have been created by people like, you know, for you to hike on so that you don't damage the natural landscape in as much mm-hmm. as you can. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Every time we go to Griffith Park to hike, there's always a group of people that just decides to, they don't want to do the long path around the switchback. So they decide to just kind of slide on their butts down like a near vertical um, dirt incline full of plants. And I'm just like, stop it. Like,
0: this is- Well, also, that's a a great way to get your ass bitten by a rattlesnake. Rattlesnakes,
1: you could break a leg. You could um, cause erosion. All kinds of things. Like, Don't do All kinds it. of things.
0: Um, and then the helicopter has to come. I forgot how we
1: got here. Oh, I mean, you know, th- this is all immaterial. This will all come up during my episode. Um, but be prepared for how unprepared I am. It- it'll be a wild ride. Well, um, in stark contrast
0: is my episode. Okay, good. I'm glad. <laughs> you know, I think this is exciting. We should talk about this. Um, you know, uh, Thank you. People do listen to us. They've been sending suggestions. And one of the reasons we're doing Khalees is because of a listener named Antonio. Thank you. Who who uh, sent us a message through our uh, inbox. And is that what we say? Through our inbox? Through the I didn't just say we got
1: an email.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. But you know, Antonio sent us an email. And among several other really good suggestions, he did include... Uh, wanting to talk about Kelis, Um, and that you know she deserves more credit. Her whole discography um, needs a review. She doesn't get enough shine. And you know we'd been talking, you and I, Barry had been talking about Chali's, and we'd been talking sort of about AAPI and like surprising um, Asian uh, Asian American uh, artists that that you may or may not know are, are Asian. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and Khalees' name had come up because, you know, her mother is Chinese-Puerto Rican. And uh, so, you know, we were already kind of thinking about her and then we got the email from Antonio. So thank you. This is great. I did give an opportunity to really go back and listen to her discography. And you know what? I agree. I agree 100%. But what, um, what were your findings about Kalisa's status as an Asian-American slash Pacific Islander? Well... So as I mentioned, her her um, mother was uh, is Chinese Puerto Rican, and what I did find in an in interview that I think it's like nineteen ninety nine two thousand, um, she basically says that the Chinese side of the family disowned her mother when she married a black man. So <laughs> yeah, so I don't think that's, well, this like is, huge, that's, that's the but, funny but, thing, right? Yeah, yeah I, is yeah. that I I had I feel like. The fact that
1: Khalees is, you know, biracial or part Asian American is is kind of lost to the ages. Like, I didn't even know how we knew this. Well, she don't said, they really say hear it her... in every
0: profile. They yeah. say it in every profile. You it's don't like ever her, her, really you know, hear her talk and... about
1: it or talk about it yeah. as part of her upbringing. At least, not to my recollection. So, I was really curious about like, do or does Khalees acknowledge that? Like, what role does it play in her career? Does it play a role in her career? It doesn't think...
0: play a role in her career, but I do believe it plays a role in, like, a lot of her interests. Like, it's an influence of hers. Her um, her mother was a fashion designer, so that, that um, like, really influenced sort of kalisa's style. She's really known for her style. But it also influenced her cooking and her, you know, the way she, the foods that she ate and things like that. So, um, Khalees, if if you don't know, is also a Le Cordon Bleu trained, uh, uh, saucier. The and culinary chanteuse. <laughs> the culinary chanteuse. I yeah. like that. Is that what we're calling this? <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, so, I mean, it doesn't necessarily play out in terms of like, she doesn't talk about it as an identity. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think it's part of her. It is mostly, it is me- mentioned, um, you know, in all of her bios and in most interviews. Yeah. But she doesn't. It was. It, I had to really dig to try and find a quote, and um, it's not even on the internet. It was like someone had uploaded a scan of a. I'm sorry. It's a Vibe Vixen, from uh, what year is this? This is. It's here at the top of the page. Um, I think it's 2000. <laughs> it's really crazy because It's like it's like someone scanned a whole magazine. And so the ad's in here. Oh, yeah. Holiday 2006. Oh, okay. Um, and so she talked about this. This was, I think, around the one of her albums was coming out. I think it was Khalees was here. And uh, it says the, the interviewer asked her, what's your ethnic background? And she said, my mom is Chinese and Puerto Rican, and my dad is black. We were real close to half of my mom's family. They're brown Puerto Rican. The Chinese side didn't want anything to do with my mom after she married a black man. And then the next question is just, your image always pushes boundaries it's I'm like <laughs> we're going to follow up on this i think that's fascinating um and but no you know do you know one of the interesting things about going back into some of these um interviews there were a couple of them um in the early 2000s and it's just we've come so far in terms of Sort of the the questions that we expect from journalists, and you know, mm-hmm. to, to really get at like who someone is, like that question would obviously be followed up now, right? There, and there's there's a there's a lot of other questions I saw in other in other um, magazine interviews that were like, "Don't you think you're 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 too risque?" <laughs> when she's like, "What do you mean?" Like, <laughs> and she's like, I mean, "She's like, do you think it's risque?" Like, I mean, I think it's kind of in the eye of the beholder. And, yeah. And you know the woman who's interviewing her is like, well, you know, it is very sexy, and 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 Khalees is like, well, do you think you're sexy? Like, I think I'm sexy, so I just want to show that. And she goes, do you think you're sexy? And the interviewer's is like, uh, um, I, I don't know. There's like a fine art to the to the interview, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even just
1: hearing like you reading out that portion of that interview, asking about her ethnicity, it feels like. The question comes out of nowhere. It's like without yeah. context, it's just kind of like, hey, let's get this out on the table. Like, what's your ethnicity? Like, I hate it when people ask me, <clears throat> this is something that actually happens, right? Is like people mm-hmm. come mm-hmm. up to you and ask you like what your ethnicity is. Yeah. I, could, I don't know if is it like an Asian thing. I
0: don't know. Well, you know, before at the club, people were like, where are you from? And you'd be like, I'm from LA. No, where are you really from? Oh,
1: I mean, see, I, th- I feel like I was like beyond that. But people would straight up ask me, like, what's your ethnicity? And I'm like, mm. well, that's like an out of the blue question.
0: Well, it, I don't,
1: I mean. But I don't anyway, in the context I, of like I, yeah. an interview, I feel like there's a fine art to being, to introducing well, a topic and then, yeah, like following up on like, oh, like this is like a path that would be interesting to follow about like, you know, a biracial well, it, person struggling yeah. with a whole sector of their family not accepting them because of their race, right?
0: I mean to be fair so the the questions leading up to it were sort of about how she grew up in Harlem but went to school I believe on the upper upper side um and so there was always this sort of dichotomy between who like the the people she was around at school and then the life she lived when she came home mm. and she always sort of felt out of place right like she wasn't black enough at home and she clearly wasn't she wasn't like white like everyone else at yeah. school and so she always felt like an anomaly uh she didn't really have friends there and she she um ended up to she ended up going to uh LaGuardia the fame high school okay. so you know that's where she started really kind of blossoming but the what's your ethnic background question came up right after those series of questions so i think they were trying to tie it in with like where she geographically was well just like you know if you feel like an anomaly did i think a more artful interview may have like woven that into why she felt out of place right and like and then continued to go like yeah how do you think that like you know an entire side of your family sort of not uh uh Into you know not accepting you uh, you know played with your idea of or helped formulate help create like this sense in you that like you didn't fit in or -hmm. that there was something wrong you know so um i think that's really interesting and i also think that that's something you know it's just there's a lot to go (laughs) the community (laughs) as a whole has a lot to to go towards um acceptance on all sides
1: yeah
0: can i just say that when you were just talking about like where
1: khalese lived and then where she went to school and kind of like the, the difference, the demographic differences that she experienced or whatnot, or the struggles that she experienced. Like I realize I have very little context for the geography of New York. Like when people talk about like Upper East Side, Upper West Side, Lower East Side, Harlem, you know, the Bronx, Queens. um, We watched in the Heights this weekend. Oh yeah. On HBO max. And I, I had to look it up cause I was like, where is this exactly that they're talking <laughs> about? Okay. You know, one of the characters wants to move to like the lower east side, mm-hmm. I think. And I feel like this is the stuff that like New Yorkers inherently understand in the way that like, I guess when we talk about Los Angeles geography, like mm-hmm. we talk about like the West side or we live on like, we live in like Northeast LA and like, uh, or the know, valley. The valley, Hollywood, mm-hmm. whatever. I guess, you know, if you're not there, it's like really hard to contextualize like what that means when it's like, oh, you know, Khalees lived in Harlem and then went to school on what the Upper West Side?
0: Upper East Side. Upper East Side. So, okay. so it's more, the Upper East Side tends to be a little stuffier. Okay. And like uh, uh, old money, I guess, in that yeah, way. Yeah, and like, this is like, like the like kind sort of stuff that I do. Dowdy, rich. People, whereas the upper west side might be a little more contemporary is the upper still... east side where they filmed the view
1: i don't know i, I had I a friend like when yeah. i visited my friend back in the day and like she had an apartment on the upper or was she upper west side her apartment was within blocks of where they filmed the view though i think anyway huh.
0: n- neither here nor there um i mean i do think that for some of i mean <laughs> this could be completely wrong i believe it's it's like what side of the park you're on central park right so yeah everything yeah so anyway i mean Um, but i don't
1: but again like i don't know what that means like uh, socioeconomically, or like what the connotations are of like you haven't
0: picked it up from like sex in the city over the years (laughs) or whatever
1: we're not geography experts here what last week we were struggling to figure out where tonga is this week i don't know anything about the geography of new york or like what it all means um well, when we come
0: back we can talk from a break, yeah, oh, yeah we'll yeah, talk yeah. about
1: it. We'll talk about it. Um, oh, hey, hey, people, hey, listeners. I'm here to entreat you to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. We have a website where every week we are going to be posting playlists uh, and ephemera videos and whatnot of anything we talk about during these episodes. That's going to be at www.flopredeemer.com. If you have any feedback for us, if we got something wrong, if we got something right, if you just want to say hi, um, send us an email, flopredeemer at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, do it. Do it because we've received quite a a few and some really good suggestions, both on via Facebook and through email. So please do
1: it. it But like, I will say that like, even receiving the paltry number of emails and communications that we have, it's activated a unique part of like my social anxiety where like, we were fully doing this as just hobbyists, as like, not even I, we, we call ourselves enthusiasts, but I will personally say that I, um, I have a inability to have any enthusiasm about anything just emotionally. So even calling myself an enthusiast is a stretch, but having like the accountability to like a handful of people. That we don't know emailing us and realizing like oh people that we don't know are hearing us like jibber-jabber on about like nothing is terrifying
0: but well <laughs> but, i but don't well, let that stop afraid of getting doxxed so i'm i'm like reading the emails and uh collecting a catalog of suggestions that uh we've received and so we do really we do appreciate it don't
1: don't let my social anxiety and um internal emotional terror stop you from sending us an email (laughs) to flopperdeemer at gmail.com
0: you're just a a a reminder that barry is not recording in a box and (laughs) it is larger than the two of us. (laughs) all right let's take a break
1: Jason, let's bring it back and um, talk about Khalees.
0: Well, yeah. Okay, so today I'm going to talk about Khalees' single, Fourth of July, from her album, Flesh Tone. Um, So what Fourth of July is, it's the second single off of her... <laughs> I, I, hold on. Is it the fifth or the fourth? I am like, I keep getting messed up. It is the... Fourth no, of July. You know what? It is the fifth studio album. Oh, and, I think you are talking about the name of the song. Sorry, it's the 4th of July, but it's her fifth studio album. Oh, okay. and I get confused because, you know, Wanderlust, we'll talk about it, um, was her second studio album, but it was not released in the U.S. So it, it kind of gets, you know, whatever. So this song, 4th of July, was the second single, as I said, off of this album. The first single was acapella, which, you know, kind of, kind of came out like a shot. It was like, what? Who is this? Because, you know. Did it? It's... It, it did because a shot out of what, like a
1: shotgun, an AK forty-seven, a shot like out of a no, a, a shot gun, out of a, a, a con- confetti gun? cannon, a confetti
0: cannon, super soaker, um,
1: <laughs> t-shirt cannon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's more like a, a, a you know, the, a little party popper. Okay. Um, so it starts with this thumping house drum beat and her voice comes in. It's this husky, metronomic voice. And Khalees has this way of being both cold and warm at the same time. Um, uh, and like kind of happy and melancholy. Like it's just the way her voice is. Um, and it just kind of, it's kind of coming in just like. Dum, dum, dum. Um, and then the drums drop out. And there's this pre-chorus where she sings in this rasp. Nothing I ever say or do will be as good as loving you, and it just kind of repeats, repeats. And then the bass comes back in, and it's just this pulsing bass, and it just it just kind of goes. The song just goes before it explodes into the chorus. Um, by the time you get to the end of the near the end of the song, the 3:37 mark, she swirls around. It's like you make me high like the Fourth of July. <laughs> just, just like the sky, like the Fourth of July, and I just love this song. This song is exuberant. It's unexpected um, from Kalis, um, and I think more people need to know about this song. And and I think honestly, more people besides like the gays need to know about acapella um, mm-hmm. and this whole album in general. Um, the reason why? So, circling back, Kalis debuted came on the scene in 1999. So this this album um Flesh Tone came out about 10 years later, 2010. Um and it was kind of it, you know it's it's interesting everyone categorizes it sort of as sort of as like a left turn, you know, into dance because they're like expecting kind of R&B or something like that. And from Kalisa's perspective, she's like I was never an R&B singer. Um mm-hmm. but that's just and we've talked about this on the podcast. That's just what happens if you're a black singer. You don't get to yeah. be anything else. She was right? never
1: really—I mean, she was hard to categorize from her debut. From like her continuously, debut, yeah. it was like, it was like really hard from album to album to figure out like what genre of music
0: is this. Well, and I think yeah. So when so when when Kaleidoscope comes out in 1999, the lead single was um, Caught Out There, and that has her famously screaming, um, "I hate you so much right now." And like repeated in the back, right? And it became sort of iconic. It was it was a, um, it was unlike anything from another black artist at the time, right? Like it because it wasn't super R and B, or it wasn't R and B, it wasn't really hip hop, it wasn't pop, it was just kind of its own thing. And this was also, you know, she she was working with the Neptunes. She'd been introduced to them to Pharrell and Chad Hugo um, after she graduated high school
1: oh wow she, okay
0: yeah she'd been introduced to them by a friend and so this was like in the in the late 90s and she um they you know with w- they, they they all really gelled they became really good friends and just were like experimenting musically this is around the time like missy um had come out with like music and you know missy sort of had this sort of genre a similar kind of thing it was like it wasn't the R&B or hip-hop that you expected, right? It was a little funkier. There was an edge to it. Um, and uh, it, it was like genre hopping. So the Neptunes, with with the Neptunes' support, she kind of worked on some songs. They worked on some songs together. She ended up getting signed by Virgin. And so they come back and they start recording this album. The Neptunes um, produce it. And, uh, you know, to your point, like the... the she was hard to categorize, and I think you know we kind of forget. I don't know how many people because because Pharrell's just such like a he's like shorthand for it's shorthand for like you just know Pharrell at this point. It's been he's been around for forever. Yeah. Um, but like when when the Neptunes were around, and then like Nerd, their like band that they kind of put together, yeah. or their other project that they put together, they are it is weird, not weird. It's just like it's like hard to classify. Right. In terms of genre, like what that music was. It was very different. And you did feel really edgy or whatever for listening to it. Cause mm-hmm. sometimes it just wasn't what you expected. And yeah. It
1: had like yeah. sometimes it had like a rock edge. Sometimes there was like electro dance to it. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, you know, when they worked on um Britney Spears, mm-hmm. like they kind of ushered in like a new Sound for Britney Spears Mm -hmm. when they Mm -hmm. did like because they did like Slave for You and Boys. Mm -hmm. I know they definitely did Boys, I think they also did Slave for You. And that was when Britney's, even Britney Spears's music became it's like strangely dissonant. It's not the, it's not
0: something that musically you expect to hear, yeah, on the radio at the time. Yeah, it's kind of got more of like a rock vibe, Mm -hmm. but with like a hip hop sensibility hip hop and like electronic sensibility mm-hmm. um and so they you know together with Khalees this was kind of their big effort like first kind of big kind of thing out there right and um you know caught it there becomes a top 10 hit on the RB side it gets the number 54 on billboard but it doesn't really you know it doesn't like it's a it's a it's a Crazy song, but it's not, it's not, um, it doesn't like catch, take the world by storm, I guess you could say. It was significant, you know, people paid attention, but they didn't, it didn't really translate into album sales. And I think part of that, you know, in, in thinking about Khalees and thinking back at the time, I also was in that camp who like didn't understand Khalees. Like she was so Mm -hmm. different. And I think again, like people don't remember, like, so she had like rainbow colored natural hair right and she she didn't sing like an r&b singer like it just didn't like it was again like it was like she was alternative for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word and that just didn't exist really and you know this is like when this is the same time as you know mary j blige coming out here with you know in this dancery, you know, <laughs> right? Like, it's just a uh, kind of a very different thing. Yeah, Um it but, bucks the trend of like the
1: popification of R and B music. I think mm-hmm. in that, in that, what Mary
0: J. Blige was doing at the time that was a huge crossover. It was like that crossed over. Calisa's yeah, it was the it was like
1: over. I, It was it was t- it was a period of time where I was like, oh, the idea of the idea of making it, the idea of crossing over is no longer taboo.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I felt like there was a big swath of the nineties where when it came to alternative rock music or when it came to R B music or when it came to rap music, there was, um, there was a credibility problem when it came to crossing over mm-hmm. that once you cross over, you essentially sell out, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 it It was the thing that took down like MC Hammer. MC Hammer sold out in an era when it wasn't cool for a rapper to be commercial and to get a a brand deal with Pepsi or with a major motion picture and basically make money on Mm -hmm. something that appealed to the mainstream, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like that affected everything from like the early 90s into like the mid nineties where everything was about credibility. Everything was about something raw and earthy. And then into the late nineties, it becomes more acceptable, you know, for a rapper to be blinged out, to Mm -hmm. be obsessed with brands, to seek wealth, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, that's not what Khalees was doing, I guess. Or what's well, in my mind, and,
0: like? Well, she w- has always considered herself an artist and not like a pop star. Like, she has a musical point of view that she wants to express, and she doesn't feel limited by genre or audience expectation. Even she just kind of wants to do what she's feeling and what she's influenced by, and and kind of puts out a product that that she loves, you know and. Um, I think what you have here was just like this you know it's bucking up against sort of it's not just the industry expectation it's also audience expectation like I think audiences just didn't know what to do with it either because we were used to being told like this is who this is this is what you like you know what I mean like it was. we didn't have an appreciation and I look back you know you know looking you know spending the last week sort of digging back into her uh, her career and her discography i was like man i didn't give this a fair shake at the time mm-hmm. you know like i didn't know what to do because it just didn't sound you know we you and i have talked about like i love big voices and i love soaring you know ballads or anthems and you know sultry whatever but like Khalees doesn't really fit in that and so i didn't know I also could not just appreciate it as art. Like, I I just didn't have that. I didn't have that context. I always had more of Maybe because I was like 20. I was like 19 or whatever. But, you know.
1: Yeah. I've always had more of a fascination with Khalees than like a interest if that Mm -hmm. makes sense Mm -hmm. like i've never i i I can't even really identify a lot of her music that i like or liked Mm -hmm. when it came out but there's always been a sense of fascination around like what is she gonna do like what is her next album gonna sound like what is it gonna be Mm -hmm. um that kind of i I, again yeah i I think it taps into that idea of like calice as an artist like, you're kind of more interested in what she's going to do rather than being interested in actually listening to it, if that makes sense. Well,
0: I think what's interesting is I feel like that is more of a 2021 mindset. Whereas in 1999, 2001, you know, all of these, you know, 20 years ago, it was like, why isn't she doing the thing that I like? And I feel like a lot of people, like, I think, I feel in the last 20 years, we've in many ways expanded to, um, sort of appreciate artists who are uh, you know when they're exploring when they're exploring different things or or wanting to express different things instead of always wanting them to just do the same thing or variations on the theme. does that make sense? yes <laughs> well, I don't know maybe maybe that's just me and I'm projecting but I feel like you know we see this in artists who are like, I'm just you know like like Taylor Swift, right like releasing folklore and it's kind of very different from what she's done before, but it allowed her to, you know, express herself in a different way. And people were like, Oh, this is fantastic. Like uh, there are a lot of things that play there, but I feel like
1: we have to be willing to go along on that journey with an artist before. Well, yeah, this is the thing is like, you have to be willing to go on that journey with that artist. So someone like Taylor Swift spent years building her platform, spent years building her audience at which point she could be like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to make country music anymore. I'm going to make these terrible pop songs. Sorry, I hate those pop yeah. songs that she did after oh. she abandoned country. Well, not uh, all of them. But like, um, oh God, like what was the, um, what was that terrible Taylor Swift song? The Who Do You Think You Are? Look What You Made Me Do. Look what, we, look, what we, look What You Made Me Do. Like we made Taylor Swift make terrible pop songs. Like look what you made me do. But like, basically, she's at the point in her career where she could just do anything because a certain number of people, more specifically, a certain number of people that amounts to millions of people, will like follow her on that journey, right? I don't think Khalees I think so. ever. I don't think Khalees
0: ever built up a core audience large enough. I, I also think that that has to do just structurally, right? Because it, at this time, and and I'm not going to get into all of it, but there were like label issues and just. There's the label expectation that you know you have a formula and you do it. So I think even beyond the audiences, like there is a back back room machinations that basically helps support and drive support among those audiences for the new direction, right? Mm-hmm. Like whether it's you know they're 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 supporting you by getting press, um, and you know securing sort of like you know positive sort of. Press around your direction change and all of mm-hmm. this, right? Like it's it's like there's this infrastructure that kind of helps support you, and if you don't have that, then everything just seems to kind of come out of left left field, and it seems like maybe you're taking sort of random stabs in the dark, like and you're just kind of turning, you know, in different places. But so Kaleidoscope comes out at the same time as uh you know her first singles out. She also appears on Busta Rhymes' "Baby I Got Your Money." Mm-hmm.
1: You remember mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. And
0: I always forget that that's her in the background, uh, her singing the hook. Um, but I love that song, <laughs> and that that video is crazy. <laughs> um, I think it's like a Hype Williams video. But um, I you know I, I used to love that song, and I I don't think I realized it was Calice at the time. Um, her second album, Wonderland, comes out in two thousand one. Now she was fighting with the label at the time, Virgin. So what happened at Virgin, and we've talked about this all the time. There had been a round of layoffs and the people who were responsible for promoting kalise did not get the album that was already she had already recorded wonderland uh-huh. and they didn't like it and they were like you have to re-record all this material for the US audience like you can release whatever you want in, in Europe but like you we got to redo it here she basically was like no i this is what i wanted to release and so uh F- until 2019 it was a Europe only or import only. Like y- it wasn't available on streaming. Shades so of I didn't even Christina Milian,
1: man. Mm-hmm. Christina Milian's shelved album also around the same time. Yeah. I wonder if it did yeah. Mariah Carey, like did
0: Mariah Carey like just suck up all of the money from Virgin? I think that was possible because <laughs> it's around the same time, but also this is the same year as glitter. It is, but it's also, but it's also like they were heading into recession right after 2001 so so they there was a lot of movement anyway so there was no support for it and it just kind of went out there and it didn't do anything now that album was also fully produced by the neptunes so first album neptunes second album neptunes um, her third album is Tasty, and that's in 2003. And that's where she, she did work with the Neptunes, but she also worked with new new producers. She added new producers to her mix. So there was like Dallas Austin, Andre 3000, Raphael Sadiq, Rock Wilder. Like it's just, it's a different sound. It is it is a little bit more, uh, it's just a different sound. It, it has more of that Outcast vibe to it to me. Um, but the main single from that was Milkshake. And I think a lot of people probably know Khalees from Milkshake.
1: Ubiquitous.
0: Yeah. Like it was everywhere. And that's a fun song. Um, you know, huge. Also Millionaire featuring Andre 3000. I, you know, going back this week, um, I was listening to Tasty and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot how much I liked Millionaire. It's such a good song. Um, there's another, there's a couple other, the song that she has on there with Raphael Sadiq. Is also very good, and I, you know, this album again didn't do anything. She was she was building a, an audience overseas, but in you in the U.S. it was not taking off. So, but this um, song, it was I mean, still a little out there. Like the, it's, the it's milkshake that, was huge, but like it didn't, it didn't translate turn into, into a album huge sales. Album. Yeah, I yeah. think that, yeah. and
1: I think that that's common among a lot of these songs that we're talking about. I think Mm -hmm. that's what sets up the expectation for a lot of these artists is that Mm -hmm. you have this runaway radio hit and you know, that can happen for a number of reasons. Right. Mm -hmm. I think in the case of milkshake, like just the turn of phrase that they created there with like my milkshake brings Mm -hmm. all the boys to the yard. Like that became just an iconic saying
0: Yeah, it was like a meme. It just was like a, you know.
1: Yeah, and it just captured a zeitgeist that like, you know, I don't know that she's ever captured ever again. I think that's the danger of having that kind of meme type of moment. Like, My Milkshake Brings All the Boys to the Yard, or Call Me Maybe, or any of those songs where it's like, people get relegated to the one-hit wonder column because they have this massive hit that just captures something for people lyrically. Mm Mm-hmm even if it's not the most substantive thing. And that's like the unfortunate part of it, right? Is that I think that like, it's easy to roll your eyes at a song like Milkshake, because at this point it's been replayed. And that phrase has been said so much by so many different people that it kind of loses its meaning. The, the freshness of its impact is yeah. kind of lost forever.
0: Yeah. And people have to be reminded, like, this was very cool. Mm-hmm. Like this was a good song, and it was cool for her. I mean, I I loved it, and like I said, her collaborations on that album are great. And I I did not, again, I didn't have this, I didn't have this understanding in two thousand three or the ability um, to appreciate sort of just the musicality of the album and just like who she was as an artist. Yeah, because um, she's never, she's not
1: trying to impress you with her vocals.
0: Her no, voice. and she's uh, that's the thing I love. She's she's like, look, I'm not the best singer. Yeah, she's like, I, I, you know, that's not what I'm trying to do. What I will try to do is is do it to the best of my ability and put together some interesting music. She's giving you and attitude and do the things that then. I like. like. She's the first bitch yeah. to sit, scream on a track. Well, and that's you know that's okay. Thank you. You've taken us to <laughs> Bossy, which came comes out in 2006. Um, Khalees was here. Is mm-hmm. her is her thing, and you know she started thinking about <laughs> what am I what am I doing? What am I putting out? And at this time she's like realizing that like there's a lot going on but in the first three albums like she she's realizing that she got screwed with her contracts so her first three albums that were produced by the Neptunes she made no money off of she says okay um she says that cuz cuz more recently uh she's she's come out and spoken about it um she says she trusted i mean they were she and the neptunes were such good friends that she kind of trusted the contracts that were written didn't realize she signed over all publishing and and the rights to the albums like the the ownership rights of the albums to them
1: Oh to the to the Neptunes. To the
0: Neptunes. Oh,
1: sh- shame on them. Fool me, and, fool me once. And
0: and and she, you know, the way she describes it, she's like, you know, people come back to me and like, well, you didn't ask the right questions. Like it's it's on you, you know. And 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 I guess that they had told her, they had always said like we'll split the royalties from these evenly, so she was expecting three, right? Chad, Pharrell, and her. She said she got almost nothing um it didn't go that way because of the way they structured it and she she said it was just disappointing she thought it was disappointing in the way that it was like a motown sort of vibe where it was like well you should have asked the right questions you signed it so you know oh well you know and that you're supposed to just kind of let it go and she's been talking about it like for a while they're still not friends oh. um they're not speaking um and uh I don't think Pharrell has like commented on it or or Chad. They they did reach out a couple of the articles I was uh, reading. I think it was in the Guardian last year or the year before. Um, they're just, you know, they don't, they haven't, they hadn't had a comment about it, um, but she's still very like burned by it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it it really like so so the creation of kalisa was here the album in 2006 she said it was really really hard cuz she was fighting with her label she's fighting with you know uh there was no support on the label side and then the labels kept changing they kept like selling her contract off to like the next label and so she said it was she was like super burned out she did come out with bossy which she does kind of she wanted to come out with that so that she could be like i'm the what what, what was the line i'm first bitch to scream on I'm a track. the first bitch to scream on a track mm-hmm. so she's you know she because she talks about like just she wants to be she wanted to put something out there that was like i did this mm-hmm. um and that's where Kalise was here the name comes from but after that she spent that year the next the next year basically trying to negotiate to get out of the contract um okay and so finally she did in 2007. So Tale as it, you know, old she, as
1: time. I think it happens yeah, she to was, everyone. She it's was like,
0: completely burned out, she said. And just felt like let down by everybody.
1: It just seems like with a lot of these artists, you know, that idea of like, well, you didn't ask the right questions. Like that, mm-hmm. you know, in retrospect, like, yeah, you can tell someone that. But at the same time, it's kind of bullshit. Because I think that when you are someone that's coming up in any industry... Mm -hmm. right think about when you're when you're taking on your first entry-level job it's like you don't know to fight for your worth Mm -hmm. but also if you take the chance to fight for your worth there's a chance that you know your bosses will let you go you know it's like it's like a game of chicken to basically say like well, I know that I'm worth this. Or, you know, I deserve this songwriting credit, or I deserve this publishing credit, or I deserve the rights to my masters. Like, to assert that level of power when you are powerless, you know, that's a big leap of faith, and
0: you could lose out really big, you know? And and she talks about how, you know, you know, she was basically the face for the Neptunes, right? Like, she was one of their most high-profile artists and kind of an opened the door for them to work with other people because while the commercial success wasn't huge, she wasn't a Beyonce, She was, you know, it wasn't like that, Her, the songs that they put out got attention and mm-hmm. like were earning credibility. Right. Not just for her, like as an artist, but like for them and their production style. So they were all super tight. She was touring constantly. And so she says she didn't even realize that this had happened until later because she'd been making money through touring. And it wasn't until later that she realized how much money she hadn't they she hadn't been receiving Mm -hmm. from the actual album, like from the royalties and things like that. So that's when she went back, and that's that's when their relationship soured. She talks about how she, because like U.S. didn't really get her music, she was constantly on tour like in Europe. Mm -hmm. And she said she would see, it would be her and Macy Gray. They would see each other like at festivals like in Sweden or Norway, you know, at like these European music festivals. And she was like, we were the only two black people. That toured like because like in the U.S. we couldn't do this like Mm -hmm. you know it's like you sing R&B and if you don't sing R&B we don't know what to do with you whereas in Europe it was like they had more freedom to kind of just be the kind of artist and produce the kind of music that they wanted to do Um, and now you kind of listen to it and you see how this is sort of a how Khaleesi's music is sort of a precursor to alternative R&B or kind of the state of contemporary R&B now but it was way ahead of its time in '99 Mm -hmm. you know certainly through 2006 like it just that just no other artists were doing it so it wasn't you know obviously i mean it just puts it in a different context when i think back on it it's like oh yeah and and also like i'm kind of embarrassed that i wasn't here for it yeah either right like that like i i didn't have the uh the ability to kind of dig deeper and see what was going on you know, so so Kelis was here. Flesh Tone comes out in 2010, and then Food in 2014. And so, you know, she's still been kind of releasing things. But interestingly, the other thing about Kalice, uh, you know, she was married to Nas. Mm-hmm. So Nas, the rapper, for a, for a while. For from uh, they met in 2002. They married in 2005. Um, they ended up filing for divorce in 2009 while she was seven months pregnant and uh that was finalized in 2010 so it was finalized right before the flesh tone album came out um in the interviews since she's claimed that um nas was physically and mentally abusive he denied this and accused her of slander um you know ahead of custody battles mm-hmm. but in multiple interviews in the last 10 years she's basically said like he's just an absent father like he's he can he can come and he can they have a custody arrangement but he doesn't show up so mm-hmm. you know she's kind of just like I'm not going to disappoint my son I'm not going <laughs> to tell him you know that his dad's coming and then he doesn't show up so they still have an acrimonious relationship but um 2006 uh Khalees was here not here anymore <laughs> Well yeah but 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 so after that album which like completely sort of burned her out can I she also say decided that. What?
1: I, I mean, I love the song Bossy. This is the thing is like, Khalees, iconic. Love these yeah. like spotty songs from here and there. I appreciate the artistry she puts into her music. I think I always have. I never necessarily loved her music overall uh-huh. as like a a body of work. Uh-huh. Um, Khalees was here when I saw that album come out. I was like, what is this cover photo where she looks like she's running <laughs> away from a fart?
0: It's a really kind of low budget looking cover. It really is. It's just a weird, um, it's a
1: weird, it's a weird photo. I, w- I remember when I saw it, yeah. it's like, oh, it looks like she just farted and she's like running away from it. But
0: here's the, this, again, this all comes back to when this album came out, Jive did nothing with it. Mm. Because she had been on, I think, Arista, like, because because of all the label moves, her album kept getting moved around. And so by the time it gets to come out they didn't want anything to do with it. So they did, they did no promotion. They did nothing. And so I think you see that again, when we talk about the infrastructure and like things, it's not like Khalees was over there art directing, like her album cover. Yeah, Like, you know, she wasn't responsible for like the final output. And so I think this just shows that like the label didn't give a shit and was just like, "Mm, here, you know, like get it out done. And then, and then bossy comes out and it's a platinum hit. Like it's, you know, again, iconic for her. Um, but, you know, that, that whole process took a toll. So she basically stepped away in 2006. Um, she, she'd she always loved cooking. She decided to just kind of um, just step away and enrolled in culinary school. She went to Le Cordon Bleu. And um, she trained as a chef. And she's been certified um, since she graduated with a degree. And um, she she saw cooking school as sort of therapy Mm -hmm. um, because the way she puts it cooking and food it's nothing else matters but are you good like is the food good did you burn it did it come out the way it's supposed to if so great you've succeeded it's not like the music industry, which was like, well, how many records did you sell? Even if you had a big single, like, did it, was it a hit on the radio? Um, you know, your hair, what are you wearing? Who are you married to? So she, it, it was really a chance for her to kind of step away and just recharge her mm-hmm. batteries. And she saw it like really fulfilled her creatively. Um, it revitalized her creative side so that she was ready in twenty ten to come out with Flesh Tone, like, you know, and, and and the process of creating that album. How did we get Flesh Tone? This this album that like is kind of unlike any of her previous albums. Mm-hmm. It is a it is a definite it's like just a Euro dance, it's a house dance album um she'd actually they actually experimented with this sort of euro dance uh, uh vibe on t- in 2003 she did she she appeared on p diddy at the time what's he going by now buffy diddy diddy sean? i think he's Diddy. Uh, sean combs sean combs yes yes uh he had a song called let's get ill and um It actually did well in Europe, but it was like 2003, so like well before you know the David Gettas and all that were like happening and it was uh, it, it was a moderate success but it it did also just show that like Kalisa was like willing to go and like experiment and do all kinds of shit mm-hmm. because after she did that she um she ended up like collaborating with Bjork she you know she did all these things that like you don't expect from a quote unquote R&B artist right she was just kind of playing by the beat of her own drum um and you talked about this at the top you know her edginess um, it it it, helped, it 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 created a dislocation from standard genre definitions, so it made it tough for the music industry to to market her through the usual channels. It made it tough at the time for audiences to connect. So you know she's released from the label. She finally negotiates her release in two thousand seven, um, and I that was when she went to culinary school. But she she was so burned out. She didn't work into the contract. Like what would happen next? So like a lot of times, like when you're exiting a contract, like you might put in a, a clause about like, well, maybe I'll, you know, you have a right to, to do your first look at a new album or whatever, like uh-huh. you set you up to do something else. She hadn't even done that because okay. um, she was just so over it. She thought she wasn't going to make music again. She was like, I'm just, I'm not going to do it. So. She bopped around. She lived in Paris and London for a bit and around Europe and got into the underground dance scene there. And she loved the new electro sound that was happening and eventually uh, connected with these producers, Boy's Noise and Free School and Replay. And in connecting with them, she started working on new music with this new sound. And she was really thrilled because she was working with producers who kind of got her point of view in a way that none of that no one else had really done before, in her, in her opinion, and understood where she wanted to go. And through uh, I think free school, there's a there's a guy, free school is John Baptiste, and he knew Will I Am. And so Will I Am heard the music that she was putting together and basically was like, let I'll sign you to my imprint on Interscope. Um it is funny how like you know I think we've talked about Will I Am in the past and we're like ugh you know yeah. and he didn't really have much to do with this but he just kind of let it he put her on his on his label and then you yeah know, I mean let her go and do it like he he recognized it was good
1: I think like with the direction that Will I Am's music was taking you know mm-hmm. into 2010 2012 mm-hmm. right is when we get like is that 2012 was Britney Jean. I think so. Um, you know, but the direction that his music is taking the direction that music as a whole is taking. Um, Cause what, like um, Khalees was working with like David Guetta and stuff on this album. On this album.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And that was very much on trend or it was going to be the trend that year. Like yeah. Khalees to me, this is the magic of Khalees to me is that I think that kind of true to her sentiment of like, I'm the first bitch to scream on a track. Basically, mm-hmm saying, like, hey, I was here, right? Like, she was working with the Neptunes before the Neptunes worked with Britney Spears. Mm -hmm. Um, She was doing these songs with David Guetta, like, you know, simultaneously Before before
0: big-name artists were really doing it.
1: Yeah, like, but as David Guetta's star was ready to take off, like, she was Mm -hmm. already working with him. Yeah. Um, Khalees also has one of my favorite uh, Calvin Harris songs.
0: Yes, Bounce? The song
1: Bounce that came out before the Rihanna featuring Calvin Harris song. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's 2011, I think.
1: Yeah. And it was like, oh, it's so interesting that, like, Khalees can't make the breakthrough when she's right there. She's like, well, she's yeah. like in the periphery of all of these cultural happenings. She's ostensibly at the forefront of them, but she can't reap the benefits of them.
0: Well, and she talks about, she. so, so there was an interview um, a couple years ago in ID Magazine and she it's basically her theory of it's like something like it's uh two years two years ahead like she's always two years ahead of whatever Mm -hmm. and like she gets blasted for it or like it doesn't get like it's not a thing yeah but but two years later everyone else is on the same page and you know she's she said she's kind of she's okay with it because she's making music that she's satisfied with and she's like kind of releasing herself from you know the need for the validation like 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 traditional metrics of validation right yeah. so like it, it you know being a superstar like the, to her she's putting out music that she likes um and she's able to just do it like it's it's that thing where they talk about um you know in the movies or whatever they're like oh if you can't think of anything else but dance then you need to dance like you what know is that so- sister act two I think Sister Act 2, but that was singing, right? With yeah. The... Well, if you... If you but if it's you, that vibe. It, what is it? If you wake up in
1: the morning and you think of singing, you a singer, girl. Uh-huh. What is that? Yeah. Uh, Rainer Rainer Maria Rilke. Letters uh-huh. to a Young Poet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> no, she's... Sorry. <laughs> no, because I love that. Like, then you a singer, girl. But
1: hey, like, um, when it comes to Khalees, it's like, I'm sure that when you're in her position, like, you have to tell yourself, like, I'm good with the success that I have because I'm always creating things that I love. But wouldn't, I mean, come on. Wouldn't it be nice to make the money that Rihanna made off of her David Guetta songs, off of her Calvin Harris songs?
0: Like, wouldn't that have been nice? I think so. And I think she does carry a little bit of that. That's part of where the sort of, just the 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 cynicism about the record industry comes mm-hmm. in, right? Like there is some bitterness about that, yeah. and she's open about it. But she's also like very—I don't want to say zen, but she's yeah. like, you know, she's like, what? I mean, because I guess am it's, it's also I'm like still a, able to do what I want. It's like, also she's probably found a bad
1: look. Avenues. It's probably a bad look to be trying to take the steam out of someone else. You know, yeah, and I to, think to, come out, to come out to come out really hot and be like, "Hey, like that's my thing. I was doing it first. Like, it's well, a double edged sword of like, yes, take credit where credit is due, but also like, optics wise, like. But you I don't... don't
0: think she puts that on the artist. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think not. she's very I think careful the to be per- like.
1: I think the public perception: if you came out with that kind of energy of saying like I was the first, you know, public perception wise, you are going to get people that think you are coming for Rihanna.
0: Yeah, but that doesn't really happen to her in this space. I mean, well, unless but you've I think seen that's the that, I, think that I guess... I think yeah. that her
1: positioning herself of being like, I'm fine with whatever success mm, I, I have, like, that really aids in that perception of her. Of basically well, being and, like, she's going to be someone that does what she wants artistically in whatever time frame she deems appropriate, not kind of, you know, towing the line when it comes to trends, you know? Yeah, and And be she's, fine with whatever the result is
0: yeah and again I, I, yes because it's like you know obviously these are filtered through her and these are like her quotes but she's like i'm i see myself not as a pop star but as an artist mm-hmm. so artists are allowed like pop stars have to be perfect they always have to ha- be successful like everything has to top the last thing and artists are allowed to occasionally fail but they're but the in the pursuit of their art right and so she's like that's what I'm doing. Like, I just, I just want to, you know, when I, when I feel inspired and when I have material that I like, and I want to put out, I'm going to do it. If not, like it's, it's okay. Like I'm, I'm fine. She's not like trying to dominate the world. Um, you know, I, it's, it's just, it's, it's interesting. And so, so I feel like you hear that when you get to flesh tone. And you hear that on songs like Fourth of July and acapella there's they are unexpectedly joyful mm-hmm. and exuberant in a way that her music always had that harder edge it was like clawing for respect it was demanding respect in this she's just singing joyfully and you know her this album acapella or Fleshtown all of the love songs they're dedicated to her son because remember she she had her son. She gotten a divorce from from uh, Nas while she was seven months pregnant. She did this album in the intervening year bef- you know, in the in the following year. Um and uh yeah, it's just it's she's singing about motherhood. She's singing about just joy the joy of motherhood and wanting to be a protector and 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 how much color and life and you know sound that being a mother like kind of brought to her life where there was none before. So it all comes to me. It all comes through. And I feel like that's why I love this album. Um, I remember when this came out and I I don't know. I don't think we never in 2010, I don't know that we were always going out together, like out to bars and stuff.
1: No, cause I
0: think I'd kind of, I would, I was going out with other people.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was in, you know, my long-term relationship at that point and (laughs) what 2010 i was like 30 so very tired all the time <laughs> um probably I was vitamin not, d I deficient um and i think you know by that by that point in time i just i got really tired of going to bars and clubs yeah. and stuff it was it's it's an exhausting experience to go to bars and clubs primarily because of parking your car i wonder if like if uber had existed <laughs> in in the in the aughts but i've gone what i felt more comfortable going out all the time
0: i don't know i always just parked in the paid in the park paid for parking in the paid lot this is i mean but no but
1: it it was just so exhausting to go there and just park i
0: I guess yes it was but it was just it was part of the thing but what i loved about this was you know we talked about there was when we talked about kelly Rowland and rihanna when kalise comes out with this album it's like validation of quote unquote gay dance music right because like because it, you know the sound that it was was this distinctively european dance sound which was generally looked down upon in the us right it was like eurotrash was like the name for it basically and um you know a lot of the remixes of Christina Aguilera songs or Whitney Houston songs or whatever were in this vibe, but they were always remixes. And so here now we have, uh, you know, an artist just like unabashedly, just like putting this music out as like their actual album. And it was good. Like, and they, you play it in the club and you're like, is this a remix? It's like, no, this isn't the remix. This is like what she's actually doing. And I, I, I thought the visuals were stunning. The videos, um, were fantastic. And I remember the first time it came on in the club. And so we we just danced to it. And then she went on tour later that summer with Robin. They did a joint tour. And our friend, well, I went with some friends. And then our friend Chris, our mutual friend Chris was there. And we were at this, we were on different sides of the venue, but like texting. Because <laughs> the the album was, I mean, the, it was, so basically, I think Khalees performed first, like a full set and then there was a break, and then Robin, and this was like at the height of her dancing on my own, you know, (laughs) all of that um, success. It was like one of the best shows I've ever been to. Like we didn't sit down a single second. It was just dancing and high energy and just exuberance and joy. (laughs) Like queer joy, you know? (laughs) Um, Which I think is underrated. (laughs) I think it's not something that we talk about, like just the importance of queer joy. Mm-hmm. And like, you're not just like dancing at a, like an Ariana Grande song, which is ostensibly for all kinds of people. And, you know, it's gay friendly and there is a gay, huge gay component of it. But like, when it's like basically, like, this tour is for you. And it's like, you can be here and just like, it's like, it's, this is for you. It was just it was fantastic and I so I I always have a warm spot in my heart for this album and for these songs in particular. Um you know interestingly her next album was called Food. It came out 4 years later. So she's kind of on this cycle of taking a couple years. Um and I I, I remember it's another just kind of shift. It's not dance music. It's sort of like f- folks it's a little folksy but it's kind of in indie and kind of bluesy mm-hmm. it's got a um it's just it's it's got this cool like like bluesy sensibility to it blue like bluesy rocky sensibility to it i mean it. is
1: there like a i remember when the album came out and this is this is an album the calice's food in 2014 album. it's an yeah. album that came out i didn't like it
0: yeah, I didn't like it at the time.
1: Because I, I think coming off of like a high energy dance album, yeah. and then, you know, four years later, this album, Food, which I that mm-hmm. that's when I first heard all the stories about Khalees going to culinary school, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. There's like a there's a kind of like a laid back island vibe to this album. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, like, not. Not really dance hall, not really reggae, nothing like that. But it has that energy of just, it's a
0: little bit mid to down tempo. It kind of feels Southern, like a barbecue. Like you're at a barbecue. I don't know. I mean, obviously it's food. That's the name of the title, but it's, it's got like that sort of jam. Just like you said, laid back, um, vibe. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you, I did not like it. I, well, it's interesting, because I was looking at it, and I was like, 2014? No, Spotify Spotify was around. I was listening on Spotify. and Because I, I remember hearing the first song, I think, on SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. And it was called Jerk Ribs. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I like it. I don't know. I mean, it was because, like you said, it's very different from the dance stuff. Um, but, you know, I listened to it this week, and even last week when we first started talking about doing this, and I listened to it again, and I was like, I think I really love this album. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a song called Floyd, which is beautiful. Uh, Hooch, um, Rumble. Uh, it's, it's just got these songs that like, I think in 2021, I'm like, again, with her being a little ahead of the curve, like, I'm like, no, this is really good. There's a, it just feels very, I just feel very happy for her. Cause I feel like, this is like I can feel her heart and soul kind of in this mm. like she feels like she's in a different place now she was because um you know she like you said she'd gone to culinary school she'd gotten certified as a saucier um in tw- 2013 she debuted a line of sauces under the name Bounty and full and you know she's so she's leaning fully into this when you talk to her it's just like this is another passion of hers so you see this woman who's like, just putting out what she wants Mm -hmm. and I think the other thing is how good the production on the on food is because listening to it now it doesn't sound you know because you kind of wonder right like if she's not super successful commercially like what kind of production is she able to to afford really like (laughs) you know like in terms of putting together this album and it's it's fantastic it sounds fantastic I do um, think it's
1: like, I mean, listening to this album now and appreciating this album more now than I think when it first came out, it really does reinforce that idea that she's like a, ahead of her time, you uh-huh. know? And the music that she was making in 2014, I want to say that I did not in 2014 have the attention span yes, to listen to this album. Um, I think that there was like, An acceleration throughout the 2000s of like lessening our attention spans culturally. Everything was very immediate. Um, We were getting streaming music. Everything had to like hit hard, hit fast, hit you right off the top. And I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of what acapella did. That's kind of what 4th of July does. That whole dance... It hooked you in. The the whole dance genre, it hooks you from the very start. You hear the first few bars of a dance song, they need to make you run to the dance floor. It has to be that immediate. Otherwise, the DJ is losing you. And that was culturally, I think, where we were at. And I think that's kind of age-wise or generation-wise, like where I was at, where my attention span as a a human being was just getting Mm -hmm. shorter and shorter and shorter. And... So for this album Food to come out in 2014, I think my attention span was just too short to appreciate it. It's only within the last few years, maybe, that like we've started investing in a lot of like vinyl records for some reason. And when you buy older vinyl albums and you start to appreciate how long it takes to really get into a song or how long it takes to warm up into an album, and then you listen to an album that's like, you know, 45 minutes in full from front to back, and you you realize, like, oh, this is what I was missing out on by really expecting something to hit me within the first like four seconds, right? Yeah. Um yeah, I just don't think that I personally was ready to appreciate her music at the yeah. time that it came out.
0: Yeah, I me too. And I had this, I had this sort of like sense of embarrassment this week. <laughs> That like you know because we talk about these we talk about quote unquote these people who don't appreciate these artists and what they're doing because they lack attention spans you know and the understanding and then and then you know realizing that you're one of them we you are know, we you're are like, not separate oh, from
1: the culture itself we are yeah we I'm are like how did herself. I mean because
0: I've always I've always liked her but how did I not you know know that so you know going back yeah fully getting into this and I was like I wonder what she's doing right so in 2014 she got remarried to this. Like honestly, very hot man and Mike, <laughs> Mike Mora, who's a photographer. And um they had uh they've had two kids, but they bought a farm in twenty nineteen, um, in Temecula. And they moved there full time because in 2020, because she had been on, she had just started her uh, 20th anniversary kaleidoscope tour in Europe when COVID hit. Okay. So everything shut down. They had sold their other house. They used to live in Glendale. They'd sold their other house. So they had this farm. They go to move full time out at the farm and she ends up, cause she was pregnant at the time. She gave birth in like October, oh. but um, she like threw herself into just farming and like, uh, you know, because the whole concept with the with the farm was to like, um, you know, have have a like organic food and kind of get you know start raising things themselves and, and preparing it because wanted to control sort of like what they were putting in their bodies and kind of. It, she talks a lot about it from like a um, from a black perspective where it's like this is what our people used to do. Like we we raised our own food. Like we we were farmers. Like we we were. I need to get back to that, you know, because now we now a lot of black people like, you know, live in areas that are, you know, basically food deserts where they're not access to fresh food. And so trying to reclaim that sense of identity of farming for black people and for her family. And she taught, you know, th- it's actually perfect timing because Roxanne Gay just did a profile on her this week. That came out this week in Harper's Bazaar. Mm. And it's fantastic. Like, I, I mean, I, I, this year, this week, I have come to just like so fully appreciate Khalees and like her point of view. And she talks, you know, she, she's on the, she's on the farm. She's, I, I went through her Instagram. She's fighting with gophers in the way that I fight with gophers. <laughs> You know, I, I don't know if I sent you the video, but like I was watching one of a poppy in my in my uh, garden, and it just like got sucked into the ground like in a cartoon. <laughs> I was just watching it go doot, 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 and like disappear into the ground because a gopher was pulling it from underground. And I go onto Colisee's Instagram, and she's describing this gopher doing that to her kale. Into her lettuce and like trying to figure out like non-lethal ways to like get rid of them. And, you know, uh, you know, talking about her chickens and, um, you know, now like she sells whole smoked chickens and briskets, like at the farmer's markets out there in the, like in the area. And, um, you know, she, she talks about like, she, part of the reason, again, another part of the reason she has the farm is she wants to show that like we own this, this is ours, Um, we can produce, we can sustain ourselves from this land. We can do what we want with this land. And in her words, that's the meaning of true wealth that she wants to demonstrate to her kids. That it's like, this is how, you know, you build a legacy for yourself and, you know, I don't know, I just I just fully related to her this week. I was like, <laughs> "Oh my god." So, between that and the food album and now wanting to drive out to Temecula to get like one of her chickens, um, oh. I'm kind of into it. Um, <laughs> the last thing I'll say about Kalisa is on her first one of the the first time I really kind of started to appreciate her was I think when the Flesh Tone album came out. I started going back to some of her previous things. And, um on her first album on kaleidoscope there's a song called get along with you and I I didn't know what it was but I I think I just found it on YouTube the video is very like uh because it's kind of like a sad little kind of down tempo song um it's the video is like a Tim Burton like nightmare before Christmas sort of thing <laughs> I love it it's like she's like over a, over like an old I don't know. She's like flying through the sky. It's sort of stop motion. It's, it's it's, very cool. I loved it. And I that was the first time I was like, huh, maybe she's not an R&B artist. <laughs> like, you know, maybe she's doing other things that like I hadn't really seen. And and so I just want people to check that out from that album because she been doing this since the beginning. People just didn't get it. People meaning me. And so I think you all should get it. I think you all should get into Khalees. Uh, if not the Flesh Tone album, then for sure Food, and then go back listen to her other stuff. It's really interesting. It's really good. It's really worth a re listen. That is Kalise.
1: Amazing, perfect. Do it. <laughs> do it. Listen do to Kalise. Listen it. to her whole oeuvre. Uh, and
0: thank you, Antonio, for reaching out yes. and reminding us to do it because uh, I, I really enjoyed this week listening to her music.
1: We are tangentially touching upon EAPI individuals throughout the month of May slash <laughs> June, but not really May, only June, only June. All right, cool. Um, where is my script? It's over here. I see it before we cut. I would like to remind our listeners that we every week, every single goddamn week, we give special thanks And this week's special thanks goes to Adam Elder, who composed our theme music. Um, Songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopredeemer.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Check us out on social media at flopredeemer on Instagram and Twitter and at facebook.com slash flopredeemer. As always, email us, email us, email us at flopredeemer at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.